Sirah, a biography of Muhammad, the last messenger of Allah, written by Professor Dr. Safwat Khalilovich. Chapter 44 The Campaign Against the Banu Qurayza The battle took place in the year 5 in Al-Hijrai immediately after the Battle of the Trench, in which the Prophet, peace be upon him, witnessed firsthand the sly and treacherous character of the Jewish tribe of Banu Qurayza. In the most difficult situation at the time when Quraysh and the allied Arab tribes came with enormous military might to attack Medina and destroy the Muslims, they breached the treaty they had with the Prophet and joined the idolaters' side. The act of treason under such circumstances could not be left unpunished. For that reason, the Prophet decided to punish the deceivers and traitors and rid Medina, the center of Islamic mission and the capital of the new state to them, so that they could never again do something similar. The Jews had violated agreements with Muslims earlier as well, but what they did during the Battle of the Trench was a blatant act of high treason, and for that they had to be punished. Al-Bukhari transmits from Aisha radiallahu anha that on the day of the battle against the Confederates, when the Prophet, peace be upon him, returned home, laid down his arms and took, and took a bath, Angel Gabriel, peace be upon him, came to him and told him, Have you laid down your arms? By God, I have not laid down mine, the prophet asked him. Where to? There, answered Gabriel, and pointed in the direction of the Benu Qurayza. Aisha radiallahu anha says that the prophet then headed toward them. He ordered that no one should pray the afternoon prayer until they reached the Banu Qurayza territory, and he then set out. The standard was again given to Ali radiallahu anhu. The Muslim army was approximately 3,000 strong. When Ali radiallahu anhu came close to the enemy's fortresses, he heard insults at the expense of the Prophet and his wives, so he informed the Prophet about it and pleaded with him not to come near these malicious people. The Prophet, being familiar with their hypocrisy and sycophancy, said that they would not have said it had they seen him, and indeed, as soon as they saw him, they started toadying to him. As he had foretold, the Muslim siege of their fortresses lasted twenty-five nights. When the situation became unbearable for the Jews, they agreed to receive a judgment from the Prophet. However, he appointed Sa'd ibn Mu'adh, the chief of the Avs tribe, whose allies they were, to pass a judgment on them. Sa'd's judgment was, kill the warriors, make the women and children captive, and dispense their property. Martin Links notes that Sa'd's judgment was in line with the Jewish laws. The judgment was carried out, and that marked the end of the Jewish plotting against Islam and its mission in Medina and environs. We should note that this event was frequently used in the past as a proof that Islam is a violent religion, and that it was spread by sword. 
it is useful to mention what two very educated Britons, Martin Lynx and Karen Armstrong, had to say about these allegations. They both authored very detailed and useful studies of Prophet Muhammad's life. With regard to this event, we should be mindful of the fact that the Jews committed treason in war circumstances, which is punishable by every law. Martin Lynx, author of the famous biography of Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him, touched on the events related to the tribe of Banu Kureza and Saad's judgment. Saad's judgment was no doubt directed mainly against their treachery, but in fact it coincided exactly with Jewish law as regards the treatment of a besieged city, even if it were innocent of treachery. When the Lord thy God hath delivered unto thy hands, thou shalt smite every male therein with the edge of the sword, but the women and the little ones and the cattle and all that is in the city, even all the spoil thereof shalt thou take unto thyself. Hath delivered it. Deuteronomy, the twentieth chapter, verse twelve. Karen Armstrong stresses that given the circumstances of the era, almost everybody in Arabia would have expected such judgment. According to the texts, says she, not even the Quraysa were a surprised decision. She clarifies, it is however important to note that the Quraysa were not killed on religious or racial grounds. No one of the other Jewish tribes in the oasis either objected or attempt to intervene clearly regarding it is a purely political and tribal matter. A significant number of the Arab tribe of Kilab, the clients of the Quraysa, were also executed alongside the Jews. Muhammad had no ideological quarrel with the Jewish people, he once said. He who wrongs or destroys a Jew or a Christian will help me to answer on the day of judgment. The men of Kureza were executed for treason. The seventeen other Jewish tribes of Medina remained in the Osis, living on friendly terms with the Muslims for many years, and the Quran continued to insist that Muslims remember their spiritual kinship with the people of the book. Several verses of the Noble Qur'an were revealed about this battle. The Jewish treason, violation of the signed treaty, and withholding of assistance to the believers during their battle against the confederates, some of them said, People of Yathrib, you will not be able to withstand the attack, so go back. Some of them asked the Prophet's permission to leave, saying, Our houses are exposed, even though they were not. They just wanted to run away. Had the city been invaded from all sides, and the enemy invited them to rebel, they would have done so almost without hesitation. Yet they had already promised God that they would not turn tail and flee, and a promise to God will be answered for. Say, we'll not benefit you if you manage to escape death, or slaughter you will only be permitted to enjoy for a short while. The 33rd chapter, verses from 13 to 16. 
the revelation about this topic is completed with the following verses. He brought those people of the book who supported them down from their strongholds and put panic into their hearts. Some of them you killed and some you took captive. He passed on to you their land, their houses, their possessions, and a land where you had not set foot. God has power over everything. The 33rd chapter, verses 26 and 27. Sa'd ibn Mu'az radiallahu anhu was wounded in the battle of the trench. He then prayed to Allah, Allah, you know nothing is closer to my heart than striving in your way against the enemy who denied your messenger and banished him from his hometown. My Lord, I deeply believe that you have decreed that we should fight them. So, if there is still more fighting to go with them, let me stay alive in order to strive more against them. If it has settled down, let me bleed to death from this wound. He concluded his supplication by saying, O Allah, please do not let me die before I witness the defeat of the Banu Qurayza. As Sirah author state, Allah the Exalted answered Sa'd's prayer. His wound stopped bleeding, and he participated in the battle of the trench and the battle against the Banu Qurayza. After he pronounced his judgment on the Banu Qurayza, his wound started bleeding again, and he died soon afterward. On that occasion, Allah's messenger, peace be upon him, said, that Allah's throne shook at Sa'd's death. Several versions of this hadith were transmitted in Bukhari's and Muslims' respective sahihs, which means that it is of the highest degree of reliability. As noted earlier, the most probable reason why Sa'd ibn Mu'az anhu attained such a high degree in faith is the fact that his conversion to Islam prompted the majority of his Elf's tribe to receive Islam and make peace with the Hazraj tribe, whose member was his cousin Esad ibn Zurare. In that way, ground was prepared for the Prophet's migration to Medina. Therefore, Sa'd's conversion to Islam was of paramount importance. He commanded such great respect that members of his clan also became Muslims after his conversion. For that reason, Hafiz ibn Hajar writes in Sa'd's biography that his conversion to Islam was highly beneficial for Islam and Muslims. Siras also note an interesting event related to one companion whose name was Abu Lubaba. During the siege of the treacherous tribe of Banu Qurayza, the Jews asked for him to come to them so they could ask him for advice as they were close to him. When the Jews asked what the Prophet would to do them, Abu Lubaba gestured that they would be killed. At that very moment, he realized that he should not have done it, as with that gesture he betrayed the Prophet and the Muslims in a way. That notion went down really hard with him, and he returned to Medina, tied himself to a pillar in the Prophet's mosque. He spent several days tied until the Prophet personally untied him. Several Lessons 
there are plenty of lessons that may be drawn from the events described in this chapter. We shall mention but a few. Numerous are the ways by which the help of the exalted Allah to his sincere servants comes. Sometimes Allah's help comes from where we least expect it. For example, Allah determined that during the pagans' siege of Medina, when the Muslims were surrounded from all sides, the light of Islam would illuminate the heart of a man whose name was Nuaym ibn Mas'ud, a great friend of the Banu Quraiza. Owing to Nuaym's conversion, it was possible to sow dissension within the enemy's ranks, which considerably weakened their position. The Prophet's request to Nuaym ibn Mas'ud during the Battle of the Trench to weaken the pagans' confederacy as much as he could is a proof that trickery is allowed in a war if it leads to victory, and that every method that leads to victory and reduced shedding of blood is acceptable from the Islamic point of view. An exception to this is treason in case of a treaty or alliance with some party. The Prophet's instruction to Nuaym to resort to trickery shows that the Prophet, peace be upon him, was wise, as reduction of war casualties is in the interest of all human beings. The Prophet's acceptance of Salman's proposal to dig a trench around one side of Medina, a tactics previously unknown to Arabs, is a proof that Islam allows its followers to use the experiences of other civilizations if they are useful for the community and not in contravention of a Sharia law principle. The trench digging played a crucial role in repelling the Confederates' attacks on Medina. The Prophet's acceptance of that proposal indicates his flexibility and willingness to accept the good and useful things from other peoples. The Prophet did so on several occasions. When he wanted to send his letters to rulers, he was told, it is a custom of kings not to receive a letter unless sealed with the sender's name. He immediately ordered the making of a seal with the words Muhammad Rasulullah, Muhammad, Messenger of God, engraved on it, which he later used to seal his letters with. After the liberation, after the liberation of Mecca, delegations started arriving from different parts of Arabia to declare their conversion to Islam. Some companions said, O Messenger of God, it is a custom of rulers to receive delegations in special attire. The Prophet, peace be upon him, ordered to be bought the clothes, reportedly worth forty gold coins, which he then put on when receiving delegations. Thus acted the last messenger of God, so his followers should make use of his acts. They are allowed to take from other peoples what is good and useful and not in contravention of the Islamic law, Sharia, and its general principles. A restraint to do so constitutes rigidity, which the Qur'an does not allow. So, Prophet, give good news to my servants, who listen to what is said and follow what is best. The 39th chapter, verses 17 and 18. It is also inconsistent with the Prophet's deeds and words. 
Wisdom is the lost possession of a believer. Wherever he finds it, he should claim it. When Muslims disregarded this grand principle of Islam in the later centuries, especially after the Renaissance in Europe, and opposed every novelty coming from the outside world, they started moving backward, while the others started moving forward. The events related to the Jewish tribes of Benu Nadir and Benu Kureza show the extent to which the Jews were prepared to commit treachery and deception. In his first days in Medina, the Prophet strove to make peace with the Jews, offering them guarantees for their religion and wealth. An official document was even drafted in that respect. However, the Jews soon breached the agreement and abused one Muslim woman in the territory of the Banu Qainuqa tribe. They then plotted to kill the Prophet, which was the cause of the campaign against the Banu Nadir. Then, in the most difficult moments of the battle against the Confederates, they breached the treaty. This triggered the campaign against the Banu Kureza. Finally, they gathered from all sides, readying their arms and scheming in order to destroy Medina and the believers by treason and slyness, which triggered the Battle of Hyber. All of this required taking off a firm stance. With his resolve, the Prophet peace be upon him secured the borders of the newly established state and the spreading of the mission of Islamic across the whole Arabian Peninsula.